The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Good morning. You didn't end up here by accident this morning. There is no way to have gone out in that wind and ended up anywhere in the world by accident. Thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. While you're turning there, thank you so much for being here, for braving the cold, putting on seven layers of everything you own just to get outside, running your water so that the pipes weren't frozen when you got back, buying your dog a jacket. We appreciate it. Those of you in Worship East, welcome. Those of you who are in our traditional service, welcome to you. And those of you worshiping with us online, we welcome you as well. If you were here last week, you know this. But if not, we are working through our well Bible studies together. On Sunday mornings, we're talking about, and I'll be preaching from one of those passages or the verses around them each week. And if you're not familiar with the well, it's basically five different chapters of the Bible that we read together. Each week, we think about, pray about, and then we discuss when we come together. And that's what we're doing in this Bible series. Last week, we were in Acts chapter 14. This week, Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, goes like this. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Bersabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of the Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to impose upon you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. When they gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When its members read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And after they had been there for some time, they were sent off, by the believers in peace to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and there with many others they taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. I'm going to be really honest with you. The book of Acts is difficult for me, and it's difficult because there's a lot of stuff going on in these stories, and they're kind of long stories of things that are happening. If you just hop into this passage, it's not very clear what's going on. So we need to give it some context here. The context is this. So last week we talked about how Paul and Barnabas were on a missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey. And we talked about the fact that it went a little rough, kind of a sideways start to that trip. But that was the first of three for Paul. And 
after he has a rough start, he actually has some success and things go well. And Paul and Barnabas end up retracing their steps all the way back to Antioch and Syria, their home church, the church where they pastored together for over a year, the church that sent them out as missionaries. And they went back to this church, and when they got there, they stayed. They told everyone about their mission trip, and then they just stayed there. In Acts chapter 15, the beginning of that story, it takes place sometime after that event, sometime after they had gone back and moved back to their home church. We don't know exactly how long. But sometime after, Paul and Barnabas are there, and some men from Jerusalem, who are also believers, show up at the church there in Antioch. And they begin telling the Gentiles, you know, you're not really saved. I, it, I've come to understand that you think you're one of us, and you're not. I, I think I think I heard someone say that that you thought you followed Jesus the same way we follow Jesus, and you're just you're so close. You're not quite there yet. You need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew. You need to be a follower. He was a Jewish man. He's a Jewish Messiah, and you need to be a Jew if you're actually going to be among his people. You're not quite saved yet. The people who said that. We call them Judaizers because the early church had people who were believers in Jesus, followed Jesus. He was a Jewish man and he was a Jewish Messiah. And they came to the understanding that this was a Jewish thing. Now, Peter and many others had already come to a different decision. And if you're sitting here going, well, now, hold on a second. I'm pretty sure that I was here last week and you said that the church in Jerusalem already had this fight. And that they already decided that the Gentiles got to come just as they are. I'm pretty sure if we show the video, you said just as they are. And that they actually are the ones who sent out Barnabas, this same church where the Judaizers are. This, this church made this decision and sent missionaries over to Antioch to make this. You would be correct. Isn't it amazing how often churches have to have the same fight over and over again? I'm so glad that never happens anymore. I'm glad that we hash everything out in our churches and our nations and our world one time and it's done forever and everyone agrees. That's fantastic. But it didn't happen then. Strangely enough, there were some people who had disagreed with that decision and they went down on their own behalf to Antioch to correct the error they saw. Their problem was that Paul and Barnabas were sitting in Antioch when they showed up. I love... Verse 2 of chapter 15, so much. It says that Paul and Barnabas have, and these are the words of the Bible, no small dissension and debate with them. I love how that's written. I don't know if anyone else has ever had their family fight. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been sitting around Thanksgiving dinner and someone brought up politics? Have you ever seen a family fight? Wouldn't it just be so much better rather than saying that Uncle Lloyd and Aunt Shirley were having a knockdown drag out about who really burned down Grandma's china cabinet when they were kids? Can we just say that they were having a disagreement with no small dissension and debate among them? That is better worded. I like when the Bible does that. That's cute. They had a fight. This was a disagreement. Whatever you call it, it was hotly debated. 
debated so much so that the Jerusalem church says, hold on, we got to get involved. We apparently need round two to solve this problem. Everyone come back home. We're going to talk about this once more. And they do. They call everyone back in. In about 49 AD, the church in Jerusalem has a council and they call in all the bigwigs. Paul and Barnabas get up. And they're asked, tell us exactly what happened on this mission trip. Can't you imagine that story? Well, we the Gentiles accepted. We got chased out of this one place, and then we had to escape for our lives in the other. The Gentiles accepted there too. The Gentiles received the Holy Spirit here. Paul got killed there almost. We're not really sure what happened. It, it got rough, but the Gentiles, everywhere we went, were accepting Jesus as they were and receiving the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gets up and says what Peter had said before. I've already told you how God made it clear through Cornelius and through this vision and through everything else that the Gentiles just get to come in. And and Peter says, look, whether you're Jew or Gentile, there's no distinction between us for all are saved by faith in Christ. And then last, James, who's very important in the Jerusalem church, he gets up and he gives an eloquent speech and a beautiful sermon explaining how it was always God's plan to reclaim and reach non-Jewish members of humanity for salvation. It was always his plan to reach the Gentiles. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 makes it clear that all the nations of the earth were actually in his purview. This was never about one people group. This was about all people groups. God came and saved the world. And if that is true, then the Gentiles are a part of it. And apparently, the world doesn't need to be made into one thing. They get to come as they are. And the church goes, we're done with this for the second time. You're absolutely right. And that brings us to our story today. The Jerusalem church decides that they need to send some of their own members, Judas and Silas, alongside Paul and Barabbas, to go back to the church in Antioch of Syria, which has become the hub. That's the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out. It's become a hub for Gentile believers. And they're going to send Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas back to that church with a letter. Now, Luke here does something that's kind of interesting. Luke doesn't tell you what's in the letter. Luke copies the letter when he's writing the book of Acts. So these words here in the book of Acts are actually older than the book of Acts itself. And this is the letter they sent. The gist of the letter, which is to not only the Gentiles in Antioch, but the other Gentiles where Paul and Barnabas were, and the Gentiles in the greater Roman world at the time. The gist of the letter is this. These Judaizers who came down and tried to bother you are not from us. We know they did bother you. And we didn't want you to be burdened, and neither did the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Just focus on what is essential, what is proper, and you'll be fine. It's a short letter. We could spend some time focusing in on the things in that letter they said were essential or proper, depending on how your Bible translates that. We could spend time talking about the fact that Paul probably didn't agree exactly with that list. If it was being talked about for salvation, Paul doesn't have a problem with meat being sacrificed to idols. He says so a couple times, unless it's going to make someone stumble. We could look at those things, and we could realize that actually what they're probably trying to do there is to talk about things that were in between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. 
These are things that would cause friction. If you don't do these things, just these few things, we probably won't have friction among us. And that goes along with what Paul had said about meat sacrifice to idols. He had said, don't do it if it causes someone to stumble. For someone who had been raised as a Jew their whole life, some of these things would have. Don't do that. We could talk about that, but that's not really my question when I read this passage. I have a way more basic question than that. Here it is. Why send a letter, Judas and Silas? I kind of get why you need a letter. If Paul and Barnabas came back from this church council and said, guys, you're fine just as you are, don't worry about it, there could still have been some doubt. See, Paul and Barnabas already believed that the Gentiles were fine to come just as they were. They made that clear. They had been fighting and advocating for the Gentiles. So if you have a friend who's that far on your side, if they go among a group of people and they're hearing an argument about it, they might hear more of what they want to hear. Look, guys, it was a clear debate, and and really the, the point was made that you're fine. I could see why... They might go, we know you believe that. We know there were probably some people that said that. But it's hard for us to accept that that's really what the whole church came down to since there are people that purportedly are members of it coming and telling us we're not really saved. The letter was probably needed. And letters were probably expensive. It cost time, money. I'm not sure how readily they had access to those supplies and literate people to do all of this. But nonetheless, it costs If Paul and Barnabas had come with a letter, I think that would have been enough. If all you wanted to do was convey information, they have hands. They can certainly carry a letter. I don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was, but he can handle a letter. He could have carried a letter down to them, and it's not like they would have thought he forged the letter. Nobody would have been questioning that. So that would have been fine. So why not do it? We could sit there and say, well, Paul may not have said it exactly the same way. Maybe they wanted somebody who is from the Jerusalem church. That meat sacrifice to idols thing. Maybe that wasn't exactly where Paul was. They wanted somebody who was more wholeheartedly behind it. Maybe Paul wanted to push the Jews into letting that go because he was a Jew and, and be more favorable to the Gentiles. Maybe. Maybe that's a good idea. We'll have somebody who's more on that side read the words. Sure. Could be. But that's not what the letter says. The letter says that the church in Jerusalem sent their own members, Judas and Silas, to tell the Gentile believers this information with their own mouths. And they make it important that it's with their own mouths. Has anyone ever sent a text message or an email where the person misunderstood what you meant? I assume if you haven't, you've never sent a text message or an email? I, written word is wonderful. I, I like books. I like all those things. But there is no substitute for being face-to-face with somebody. Most of what humans say to each other is nonverbal. I mean, heck, even some of the stuff I'm saying to you right now has to do with tone and pitch, volume, the eye contact, the movement. All of it is being processed by your brains right now. Is that a smile or a smirk? Was there sarcasm in that statement? It's Ryan. There was sarcasm in that statement. 
It's important when you're trying to communicate vital things to do so face to face as much and as often as you can. And this is a vital moment for the church. So they send two down so that they can not only hear the words, but that they can see the emotion and the context of their face, of the people, of their hearts. And as a result, the letter and the words from Judas and Silas all have the exact same effect. Look at verse 31. When the members read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. The Gentile believers rejoiced at the exhortation. Now, I don't use the word exhortation nearly enough in my everyday life. So I looked it up, and it basically means encouragement. It actually means to come alongside and to help. To exhort is to come alongside and to help. Judas and Silas did the same thing as the letter. They were strengthening and encouraging. To strengthen is to confirm and establish here in the Greek language. The encourage word, which is the same word used for exhortation, is the word from paraclete. Some of you went to seminary. And you realize that the word paraclete is the word for the Holy Spirit in the book of John. Helper, advocate, counselor, encourager. They were doing that work with their faces, with their lives, with their words, with this letter. And this actually sounds familiar if you read through the rest of this. In John chapter I'm sorry, John. In Acts chapter 14, there's the story of what Paul and Barnabas do after they're persecuted and they finish up there in Lystra. Last week, we talked about the fact that Paul got stoned there after he was sharing the gospel, but he got back up. He went back into that town, went to Derby. In Derby, they had a really successful time. A lot of Gentiles came to know Christ. And so after being so successful there, what would you do? Well, you might go someplace else where you think you might have success. No, that's not what they did. They went back to the places where it had been so rough. And they went and found those believers. And in verse 22 of chapter 14, it says that when they went back, they were doing two things. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them. Chapter 14, 22. Paul and Silas strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue the faith, saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. And this is what the two stories have in common. In both situations, a pair of men are sent in or go in because the people there are under persecution. You may be thinking, well, how are the people in chapter 14 in persecution? These are Gentiles who have just decided that they're going to follow a Jewish rabbi who was killed by the Romans and the Jews. And that is going to be their life. The Jews who don't believe in Jesus aren't going to like it because you have now tangled yourself up in this weird sect for this failed rabbi who was crazy. Did you hear what he said? He was crazy. That's why he got killed. The Jews who do believe, some of them don't like it. And they say, but you have to become Jewish first. We know that because it's still happening. There are other Greeks and Romans. I haven't seen you at Thursday night idol worship lately. We've missed you at the fertility ceremonies. Those are a lot of fun. 
the people who decided they were going to follow Jesus and change all of these things about their lives lost friends. They lost family. They lost jobs. They lost income. Their lives are not going smoothly. And Paul and Silas, despite the fact that they had been chased out of there, go straight back in, not to teach them all these new things about Jesus, but to tell them that persecution is a part of the thing and to give them encouragement and strength for their souls. They come to tell them the persecution isn't a sign of failure and difficulty isn't confirmation of being alone or unwanted. Acts chapter 15, it's the same thing. All of these people had already gone through all of those hardships when some self-righteous Christians decided to come down and tell them they still weren't good enough and they weren't really saved. And so in chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem expends time, energy, money, and its people to go down there and put someone face to face to encourage and strengthen them because not only have these people already dealt with persecution and they will deal with more, they are now being persecuted by people who purportedly are their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that hurts. How important did that church did those people believe it was to encourage their brothers and sisters in Christ when they were down? Well, to write it down, that letter probably wasn't cheap and it wasn't easy, and then they sent it off. They sent it with their own people who went out to a place where Christians were already being beaten for saying these exact same things. And they traveled down a road with risk, so Judas and Silas thought it was worth risking their lives for. The Jerusalem church, by the way, because of this decision, has a much harder time reaching the Jews, which is, by the way, their mission. In other words, when the Jerusalem church stands with the Gentile church in Antioch, Syria, and the rest of the world, they make their own job harder because now the Jews go, see, it's not really even a Jewish thing anymore. This is a separate religion. You're not even part of us. In order to stand with the Gentiles, they have to be willing to understand that while it's the right thing, it's going to make what they're trying to do much, much harder. They thought encouraging them was worth that. Paul and Barnabas go back in to encourage again and risk their lives again because they barely got out last time. It's pretty easy to be saved. That's a surrender thing. In case you thought there was one step you had to take, that's not true. You don't take any steps. You just stop. It's like a lifeguard jumping in to save you. Being a lifeguard is pretty dangerous. You jump in, someone starts elbowing you in the face because they're panicking because they're drowning. The most important thing to do if you ever have a lifeguard jump in to save you is to stop doing things. That's what being saved is like. It's getting out of Jesus' way. That was his work. He's going to take care of it. But entering into the kingdom of God here in this world, the kingdom of God, which is defined in his prayer, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, that that takes some work. And Paul and Barnabas say it's riddled with persecution to get there. That's a difficult thing, to be hope and exist where it seems hopeless, to be salt in blandness, light in darkness. That doesn't happen easily. And it's through persecutions that we enter into the kingdom of God. If you want to look more like Jesus, then that's the road that goes. Getting saved on that part's very easy. Living for him, not so much. And it's in those moments the church finds the tenacity to brave the elements and everything else in a cold world to go out and to be 
encouragement to one another. Encouragement takes many forms. When I was thinking about this, I thought about the fact that it's MLK weekend and that sometimes it takes grand and life-changing forms for a man who's willing to die for his beliefs, for people who are persecuted in his nation, to stand up and declare that he had a dream and to cast a vision out there that the world simply could be different, that God actually could change lives so much for people that even hated each other to become one. That could happen. That was worth dying for. It sometimes takes takes grandiose moments, but it also takes very small things. I think about my mom and the letters she would write me and slip in my lunchbox for my track meets, the fact that she was there when things weren't going well, well in my life, but she was there and waiting at the last hundred meters of that mile relay that I hated cheering me on and has continued to cheer me on in each and every moment of life in the good times and the bad. I think about those small notes. I think about her presence there when I couldn't hear her, but I knew she was there somewhere. I think about a guy named Edward Dake who rode with me on that bike out hunger ride that I talked about several times over. Edward could ride, had ridden the actual links of the United States. That guy is crazy. That guy would go up behind me when I'm struggling to ride my little 40, 50 miles, whatever I'm doing, and he would just put his hand in the small of my back and keep pedaling, making it just a little bit easier for me, talking to me and encouraging me the whole time, aware of the fact, man, this is a hard hill, I agree, we're going to do it together, we're going to make it. It didn't mean I didn't have to pedal, it didn't mean it wasn't work, it didn't mean my muscles weren't burning, but it was that much easier. We can almost hear the prayers and the cries of the Christians there in Antioch as they're being beaten down by brothers and sisters, asking Jesus, I thought it was supposed to get better when I came to you. I thought that I was okay. I thought that I was accepted just as I am. It was never going to be easy, but they just needed it a little bit easier. And some men showed up and risked their lives to come and say, you are our brothers and we love you. You'll be doing just fine. We've come so you know. It is cold outside, and I don't always mean just the wind. There are plenty of things in this world that are seeking to knock us down. There are divorces and diagnoses, and there are all kinds of disagreements that are waiting for every one of us outside these doors. And it is a difficult thing to try and live as a human, period. All humans are struggling with that. I don't care how much you agree or disagree with the person. Every single one of us deals with the fact that life is full of heartaches and challenges. We need each other. For those of us who have decided to try and put on this mantle of being Christians, little Christs, people who look like the image of God restored here, it makes it even just a little bit harder because now when I'm driving on 75 and that beautiful person decides that the lane I'm in should be their lane right now, my response is supposed to be different. It's harder because when I deal with people at my job who don't live by the same standard I do, I am challenged in how I react and respond. We need each other. Encouragement is essential. There's an African proverb that says, alone we go fast. Together we go far. May you be people today 
of encouragement, who help others to go far. May you who are struggling with things come and find in this place people who want to invest in you with their lives, who are willing to make their lives just a little bit harder to make yours just a little bit easier. May we be a church that recognizes that there are bad things and we can't fix all of them. I wish I could get rid of cancer in this world. I really do. I would like it gone. No one should have to face that. And there is often nothing I can do to make that go away. But you don't have to go through things alone. Depression is a disease and it is awful and you don't have to go through that along anxiety is real and it is tragic and you don't have to go through that along in this place you don't have to go through anything alone anymore we are one he said so you come as you are in this place today know that you are not alone let's pray gracious god we pray that you would make us people that stand together despite whatever circumstance, despite the cost for ourselves, we would commit and be there for one another. And in this place today, if we're someone who's struggling, may we just come down during this uh, offering time, during this prayer time. May we come down, God, and just accept the fact that we need to talk to someone about it. If we're struggling, let's be open about that. Will we find brothers and sisters of encouragement here? If we're sitting in here today, God, and we know we have those around us who are going through heartache, they are going through tragedies. They're just trying to change things in their life, make things better. They're trying to be more a follower of you this year than last year. And it's, it's a struggle. May we be the people who proactively go to them and bring grace and truth and mercy to them. May they know they're not alone. This week, God, as we go out and we try to act and be more like you, we pray that you would encourage us the Holy Spirit, the encourager, would come in and lift us up, that we can pour that out on others. We thank you, God, for these men who are willing to risk their lives to tell people just like us that they get in just as they are. We thank you so much. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.